have a Bible, Luke chapter number 14. Are you ready to hear from the Lord this morning? Amen. Three of you. <laughs> Fabulous. I'm going to try that again. If not for him, do it for me because you feel bad, feel bad for me. Are you ready to hear from the Lord this morning? Yes. There it is. There it is. Luke chapter 14, while you're turning there, um, I want to ask you a question. Have you, ever, have you ever thrown a party? You ever thrown a party at your house? You can talk back to me. Come on. You've thrown a party at your house. Uh, let me ask you a better question, according to our text. Have you ever thrown a party that people did not come to? Have you ever... <laughs> Jake says, never. It's never happened to me. It's never happened to me. Uh, throw, you've thrown a lame party. Well, let me make it a little easier on you. Have you ever been to a lame party? Has the person who threw that lame party, are they sitting in this room today? Don't answer that question. All right? But the text that we come to today, the parable that Jesus tells... Uh, is about uh, what some of your Bibles are going to call a great banquet or a great feast or a, uh, a party. And the circumstances in which God brings this parable about and the reason that Jesus chose to tell this story um, are incredibly important for you and for me as the people of God. And uh, we're, we're going to unpack that today. Um, but in this parable, Jesus is comparing his kingdom to a party. I don't know about you. I don't know what your thoughts about God are today. When you roll out of bed in the morning, do, do you think of God as a party God? <laughs> Probably not. Probably you didn't get up today and say, God, I'm ready to party with you. But if you think about it, it is over 150 times God uses language about a party. God knows a lot about throwing a party. His first miracle was at a wedding party. And he turned water into wine. Can Jesus get an amen from uh, those of you that aren't Baptist? And uh, kidding, I'm, I grew up Baptist so I can say that with, with great enthusiasm. But um, Jesus compares his house, his heaven, to a party. And I, I just want some of you to just receive that today and enjoy that. Because for some of you, God is this picture of judgment. God is this picture of um, Father but not in the loving father sense, in the disciplinarian father sense. And God is those things. The Bible says that whom God loves, he corrects or disciplines. The Bible says that one day we will stand before God and give an account of every idle word that comes from the mouth. And so those things are true, but equal to the justice of God and his character and attributes is the love of God. The Bible says that God is Love And if you are in Christ today, uh, because of Jesus, you have been set free from judgment and been given Christ. And uh, so when the Bible says, when God looks from heaven on you, he sees you clothed in the righteousness of Christ if you know him. And so that would be a great place for you to say, Amen. By way of context here though, what's important about this story is that Jesus is sitting at the table, he's sitting at a party um, in a prominent Pharisee's house. The Bible says that this Pharisee was prominent, that he was 
well known, that he was a leader among leaders. And so Jesus is at his house. And um, what you see unfold through the Gospels is Jesus come onto the scene and uh, the beginning parts of his ministry, he begins to draw an incredible crowd of people. And it's because he's healing people and he's, the Bible says, speaking as one who had authority. This is different because what happened was Jesus came and didn't start talking about the things of God. He started saying the things of God because he was God. And so oftentimes what gets Christians in trouble and what got Jesus in trouble was not what Jesus did. It's not what you're going to do as we serve the city. It's what you're going to say that oftentimes is going to get you in trouble and is what eventually got Jesus killed. They were fine with the miracles. They weren't fine with him claiming to be God. And so that's the setting. They're sitting here in this promised, prominent Pharisee's house and uh, an interesting uh, comment that the Bible gives us is that it says that they were watching him. Jesus was not at this party because the Pharisees thought he was awesome sauce. Jesus was at this party as a setup. It was a setup. The Pharisees had made it their mission to discredit Jesus because if they could discredit him, they could discredit the message and they could gain their popularity back. And so that's the setting here. They are annoyed by the presence of Jesus. They are wanting to catch Jesus and Jesus begins to speak with people and he begins to share some stories and the Bible says as usual the Pharisees were silent the Pharisees were silent because how do you point out the flaws of a perfect man you can't and so they're annoyed that Jesus is owning them at their own game teenagers that was for you so Jesus turns to this host, this prominent Pharisee, and I want you to look at what he says in Luke chapter 14, verse 12, and we'll read 12, 13, and 14 to start with. Uh, listen to what it says. It says, Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. All of that totally expected from Jesus. It would have been frustrating for them because the lame, the crippled, the poor, the blind, they were considered unclean. But at the end of the day, religious people, even if we don't like it, we understand. Invite them in. Make them a part of things. And, uh, but it's the next statement that is telling. And uh, also, how, how many of you know that at, at every party, there's always that guy? There's always that guy. Um, let's just keep it in the religious circle since that's what Jesus is doing. Uh, at every uh, Christian gathering, at every Christian party, there's always the spiritual guy. You know what I'm talking about? Where uh, you know somebody said something like, oh, praise the Lord, brother. You're like, I mean, I do, but I'm, I just was asking you for the salt. 
Okay, and you're like, there's always that guy, right? Who's like, everything is super spiritual. Like if he drops the mayonnaise, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You know, it's like, you just dropped something. All right, you know, God's not always um, casting demons out like of your poor decisions. <laughs> there's always that guy. And at this party, there was that guy. Because I just want you to think about this. Jesus, one teaching as authority, just said what we just read, okay? And some things are better left unsaid, right? Because look at what happens here. Verse 15, when one of those at the table, you can just feel for this guy. You and I have probably been this guy at some point in our life. Insert foot and mouth, right? When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Had to be an awkward moment. (laughs) Because did he not just miss? Let let me tell you who wasn't at the party. The poor, the lame, the crippled, the beggar. So here's Jesus at this prominent Pharisee's house. It's the whole party is designed to trap Jesus. And Jesus calls the host to center stage, turns to him and looks at him, calls him to center stage, and tells him, you threw the wrong kind of party. And spiritual guy at the table says, blessed are they that sit at the kingdom of God and eat. And you missed the point. You missed the point. And so Jesus is going to tell a second story. He's already told one, by the way, earlier in the chapter at this party. And now he's going to have to tell another one for this guy. But here's what I want you and I to think through. Who am I in the story? Who am I in the story? Because what I, what I think is probably true, because it was of me, is of me, is that more often than not, I'm that guy in the story. More often than not, I'm overselling what I'm capable of and underselling what Jesus is capable of. And what that actually ends up doing is producing the law in people instead of the gospel in people. You understand that? That this guy was a part of a group of people who had all of the knowledge and none of the answers. All of the information and none of the transformation. And so let, let's read the story as Jesus tells it. So um, this guy <laughs> says what he says. And then in verse 16 it says, Jesus replied. You know it's bad when you, they don't like agree with you and they're just like, let me tell you a story. My father-in-law is good at that. I've watched him with teenagers before when they like did something stupid and they ask him a question. He's like, well, let me tell you a story. <laughs> you just know it's not going to go well at that point. Right? Like you're somewhere between that was a bad answer and you're dumb. All right? So you're somewhere in there and uh, we've all been there. We understand that. And so here, here's this guy and Jesus replies to him and here's what he says. A certain man, <laughs> a certain man, the guy standing right in front of him. A certain man. Don't, don't tell me Jesus wasn't funny. Don't tell me Jesus didn't have a little bit of sarcasm. All right? He enjoyed some of that three years. Invited, preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Verse 17, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant 
to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Parties were different back then. What would happen is the invitation would go out and people would respond, yes or no, I'm coming, but there was no time. Okay, there was, there was no set time. So all the replies would come back in and the host of the party would know, okay, I need to kill this many animals and have this much prepared and uh, set this many table settings and have this much seating and get everything ready. And then when he was about ready, when the food was about ready, he would send his servants back out to all the people that responded yes to the invitation and say, okay, you can get ready, get your family ready and come, the food is about to be ready. And that's the way it worked. That's how party invitations went, all right? And so even up to the last minute, people could back out. You could, you know, there, it, was, it was a good setup. It was like having a Facebook event, but way back. And so it worked the same way. And so here he is, everything is ready in verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. And listen to the excuses that Jesus chooses to give. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. <laughs> Please excuse me. Come on. First of all, you don't buy a field without having seen it. How many of you have ever bought your house and never saw it ever? Not even a picture. I bought the house. I'm not going to be able to come to the party. I know I said I would, but I, bought, I just bought this house, but I've never seen it. I just spent $300,000 on a house I've never seen. Yeah, it says nobody ever, right? So that's excuse number one. Please excuse me. Verse 19, another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Same concept. How many of you have a pet that you never saw? How many of you have a work animal, otherwise known as a truck, that you have never seen? Any farmers in the house? Didn't think so. All right. Well, you wouldn't buy a tractor unless you knew it ran. Okay. You wouldn't buy an ox let alone five yoke of oxen, if you had never seen them. Lame excuses. <laughs> but Jesus perhaps saves the best for last. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. How many of you know every woman, after they get married, likes to get dressed up and go show off that they just got married? Come on, somebody. Amen? <laughs> Ladies in the house, amen? Right? <laughs> lame excuses so verse 21 the servant came back and reported this to his master then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor the crippled the blind and the lame verse 22 sir the servant said what you ordered has been done. He said, we did that. We knew you would want us to do that. So we were about your business. We've been doing it. And then I circled this next statement in my Bible. It says, but there is still room. Can I just say to you today that if you're not dead, God's not done? That there's still room in the kingdom of God for the people that you are praying for, asking for, seeking God on behalf of, that if God has you in somebody's life, if God's given you influence somewhere in this world, He's not done with you. And that it's not about what you can accomplish, it's about what He's accomplishing. And so there's no fear in that. That's why Paul could say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it wasn't about Him. It wasn't about His ability to sway the mind. It was about saying, listen to what Jesus has done for me. 
still there is room. Then verse 23, Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And then Jesus says this at the end, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So here's the big idea. Jesus has sent out this inv- invitation. Okay, I know, I know it's a parable, but there's a meaning behind the parable. And that is that Jesus has sent out this invitation to everybody. And some have rejected it. Some have responded, yes. But even for those of us who have responded, yes, Jesus says, we need to reconsider who and what we follow. Who and what we follow. You see, because the people Jesus was talking to in the story, the reason Jesus told the parable was because he was sitting in a circle at a table with religious people. You see, a lot of times we get that backwards. We, we kind of think that God's given these parables to the world. But he didn't. He gave these parables to those who were supposed to be the church. And I recognize this was before Christ died, so there's like all kinds of theological jargon there. I get it. But anyways, they were supposed to be the people of God. And they would have told you that. They would have told you that. They would have wore that on their sleeve. And we can learn from that, can't we? But what Jesus does in this parable is come to us and say, what are you trusting in? The big idea here is this question and you have to answer it today. Am I going to the party? Am I going to the party? Because what Jesus says about some of us religious folks is that some of us have been invited but are not going to get a taste of that party. Sounds awful. (laughs) Sounds really bleak, doesn't it? But what I want to show you today is that that's not a bleak statement at all. That's not a bleak statement at all. Um, We only know the wrong side of that because Jesus has offered us the good side of that. You see, lost in the details of you're not going to the party is this invitation that God has extended through His Son to everybody sitting here right now and everybody out there around us wherever you're going to go to lunch today, that there's this invitation that has gone out from the Father through the Son and is being administered through the Holy Spirit and we get a chance to be a part of that. And so the first question is, are you going to the party? Because here's this group of religious people that have made a bunch of lame excuses and so he sends out a second invitation. And that's where we're at today. He's sending you a second invitation saying, what about Jesus? He's God. He came to take away your sin. He loves you and he's got a party prepared for you forever. But you have to come to the party. You're going to take Jesus up on his offer? Are you going to the party? You see, because 
the invitation is not like most invitations. There's no bring your own beer or bring your own soda or bring the deviled eggs or, you know, I like deviled eggs if you wanted to know. I accept gifts anytime between 9 and 5 during the week. And uh, there's none of that though. There's none of that though. What Jesus is doing here is pushing the buttons of these Pharisees because by saying invite all the poor, all the crippled, all the lame, is he was reminding them of what the gospel is for. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, I have come so that the blind would receive sight, so that the lame could walk. I have come to bring good news to the poor. What was Jesus trying to teach these guys? Jesus was teaching them the gospel that um, the, the law has yes come in and told you who you are. And you need that. You need a full picture of just how bad you are. And these Pharisees needed the law to bring us the full picture. Paul compares it to be a mirror. That the mirror of the law of God would be held up in front of you and you would see yourself clearly for who you are and who you're not. A sinner in need of a Savior. Dead in your trespasses and sins, Paul says. But that the beauty of the gospel is that in spite of you, Jesus went to the cross and what separates the God of the Bible, you hear me say this all the time, what separates the God of the Bible from every other religion in the world is that when God saw you in your sin, he didn't ask you to rise out of it, he came down into it and met you where you are and made a way possible for you to be made right with God at the cross. That is the God you believe in. So if you're going to reject that invitation, you should at least reject the right thing. Because the Pharisees here are presenting this clean yourself up and then come to God mentality. And Jesus steps in and says, actually, you just come on in as you are and I'll clean you up. There's a huge difference. This one comes with tons of weight and responsibility. This one comes with freedom to serve, expecting nothing in return. That's the gospel. You are sitting at a meal with a whole bunch of religious people and he's telling them this parable and the parable represents that they're not on their way to heaven. (laughs) That they're not on their way to the party. And I just want to ask you today, what have you been trusting in? What have you been trusting in? Your effort? Or the finished work of Jesus on the cross for you? Maybe today you are the one who needs rest for your soul. Maybe you are the one who needs to take up the yoke of Christ because it's easy and the burden is light. Where are you today? In that awkward moment at this religious leader's house for a formal meal, Jesus says there's a party that's bigger and better than this and you guys were invited but you're not going. I have two questions for you today as a follower of Jesus is what are you resting in? What are you trusting in? And as a result of that, I want to ask you this. Who's not going to the party that you wish was going to the party? Who's not going to the party that you wish was going to the party? If you can't answer that question, I want to encourage you today that because of your freedom in Christ, to just make a list. Just make a list. Do it right now on your phone or in the flap of your Bible or on the back of your notes. Whatever you're doing, 
Just make a list of people who you know that need Christ. Go ahead. That wasn't just a suggestion. Like, go ahead, do it. Make a list. Because the gospel, because of it freeing you, means that you can share it. Means that you can share it. Because God makes converts, we make disciples. And there's so much freedom in that. (laughs) That all you do is present the glorious good news. Jesus gives us some strategies about that. The first one he says is go out. You just got to go. You just got to get out. See, some some of us need to take a clue from Jesus and stop spending all of our time with Christians and spend some time with non-Christians. How was Jesus successful in ministry? Because he didn't hang out with all the just religious people. He did. It was often for a little rebuke session. And that's not to just affirm everything that a, Christ, that a non-Christian does. Jesus would, would forgive people and say, now go and sin no more. You're free from that. And so I get the trepidation there, but Jesus tells us here to go out. For some of us, this is our issue. To get out of the house, get out of your circle and into the world. Jesus gives us this strategy that's so simple. He specifically says to stop just hanging out with your friends and go out to the poor and needy, the physically and spiritually ill, and get to know them. Precisely because they have nothing to offer you in return. That's the reason he says to go. Go find the people that don't look, talk, and eat like you, and get to know them. You say, but that's uncomfortable. (laughs) Of course it is. That's the beauty of the gospel is that the gospel bridges those gaps. The gospel builds bridges to the people that don't look, talk, act, smell like you. And then what does Jesus say? I love this. He says, and compel them. There's still room at the party. Compel them. Who can you get to and compel them to Christ. Again, traditionally in a religious circle, that sounds like what was the shift. He watched Jesus die and rise again. What changes your attitude and mind? The gospel that Jesus would die for you and rise again so that you could live in freedom and victory. Because it doesn't matter what that person thinks. Paul said, Oh, that I would know the sufferings that you suffer. How do you pray that? Because he was gloriously, miraculously rescued. When you have the right view of who you are apart from Christ, when Christ comes into your life and radically saves you, every salvation story is a miracle. Every one of them. And what does your heart do when you get something that you weren't expecting to get. Let's just stick with the Pat and Carla example, right? When you found out that you have a child, 
what's the first thing you want to do? Celebrate. You want to have a party. And you want to invite tons of people to the party. Why? Because it's the best news ever. What's the motivation for you to tell everybody to go to the highways and hedges, to the roads and country lanes, to tell people about Jesus, to compel them about Jesus? Because it's the best news ever. That's why. You have the invitation of all invitations. Freedom. In a world full of darkness, in a world full of slavery, in a world full of idolatry, in a world full of everything that you could possibly want to enslave you. The light of Christ shines brightly through His people. Compel them with the good news of Christ. What an amazing story. But don't miss it, church person. That if you get things backwards, you won't be satisfied. That if it becomes about what you can do for God instead of with God and from God, you're going to be very frustrated. You're going to be very frustrated because you don't need to work for God. We don't work for victory. We work from victory. We have been given freedom in Christ. Go and compel people to join you at the table. Because God loves you. What an amazing, life-altering concept that the God of the universe would look at you with all of your faults, with all of your flaws, with all of your problems. Man, if I just like walked around and be like, did you sin yesterday? Yep. Did you sin yesterday? Yep. Did you sin yesterday? A whole lot, I know. Did you sin yesterday? <laughs> I, could just, I could just walk around the room to every single one of you and what would you have to say? Yeah. Yeah. What, what does that make you? A sinner. What kind of need does that give you? A savior. What is Jesus Christ? A Savior. He's the only one. He's the only one. Your kids won't save you, even if they become president. Baylor's going to do that. Look at her. She's like, shut up, Dad. Just finish. Just wrap it up, bro. (laughs) Look at her. She's like, seriously. (laughs) Your kids aren't going to save you. No matter how awesome they become, it won't fill that hole. Your job, your money, it's not going to save you. Why do we tithe? For rescue. (laughs) So that we will loosen our grip on what so controls this universe. Why do we give back to God? Because it's all His. He lets you keep a lot of it. Most of it. It's a privilege when we start loosening our grip on our stuff, and what's the Hebrews say? To fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You are not going to perfect your faith the tighter you get a grip on your life. It's going to make things worse. As you start to release things and let go of things, the Bible says that that is where the Holy Spirit can meet you 
and give you grace and mercy in your time of need. What an awesome God we serve. That we've been rescued, radically changed. How does the church go out into the highways and hedges, the roads and country lanes, downtown Tampa, even on 275? You just sit in traffic, you just get out of the car and start telling people about Jesus. I'm just kidding, don't do that. You get run over real fast, all right? What's our motivation? Jesus. It's always only Jesus. What's the answer, church? Jesus. Come on, let's try that again. Lift up your voice. What's the answer, church? Jesus. Jesus. It's always the Sunday school answer. I used to get mad when my teachers were like, don't give us a Sunday school answer. It's always a Sunday school answer. It's always Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Why don't you stand with me? The band's going to come back up. We're going to sing two songs together. I don't want you to run out of here on this Labor Day weekend. You're going to do a little labor, all right? In the name of Jesus. But listen, we've angled the chairs so you can see each other. That was not an accident, all right? You are the people of God, rescued, redeemed, regenerated, adopted into the family. We sang a song this morning that said that God sings a song over you. One of the craziest Bible verses in the whole scripture is the one that says that the Father sings over you. What a crazy, crazy, mind-blowing, gracious God we serve. Who do you sing over in your life? The people you love. And it's normally our children, isn't it? My kids are rotten. They're terrible. (laughs) Most of the day, every day. Can I get an amen, parents? But, what do we do when we go lay lay them in bed at night? Man, we pray with them. We sing over them. Why? Because they don't have to earn our love. Because we love our kids. You have a good father in heaven. He loves you. And after all your screwing up all day long, sings over you. <laughs> it's amazing. Let's sing these two songs together and just worship the Lord together. We need each other. God gave us each other. Let's worship God together. And then I'm going to come back up in a little bit after we sing a song or two and uh, just lead us in prayer as we exit.